You know what? Honestly, something that I, I always say that, that I, and again, I give this to my, my daughter's 14, so mm-hmm. I give this to her now, um, and she's very similar to me. I, I think that you need to look, you need to start to learn how to trust your own instincts. Hmm. Right? Okay. Your instincts are yeah. wrong. Uh-huh. Right? And if you can learn that at a young age, that's the advice that I would give. Start to trust yourself and what your gut is telling you, mm. your intuition. Mm. Um, because as a woman, that goes a long way. everybody and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Delaware College Scholars Podcast. I had the absolute pleasure of having my friend and fellow cohort member Rebecca Nazario who serves as the Vice President of Operations at Christiana Care. Rebecca is one of those people that after you speak with her you get inspired to really do the work and you start to reflect on maybe your motives for the work that you're doing as well. You can tell Um, after hearing her speak, how passionate she is, how inspiring she is, and that she really cares about what she is doing and the impact that she's looking to create, not only with her team, but in communities of color. So I'm really excited about this episode. I was excited to even just have her on. Um, And so I really hope that you guys enjoy. Uh, Remember to subscribe and rate the Delaware College Scholars podcast. What's going on? What's good? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You at you at work? You know? You ready? I'm at work. Gotta <laughs> put in that work. Gotta put in the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into that. But look, Rebecca, I am happy to have you on the podcast. It was a no brainer. You out here doing boss moves. So uh, we want to delve a little bit into your career, um, how you got involved, and what you what you're doing now. So, anyways, but thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Yeah. Really such an honor and such a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So look, with every guest that we have on the podcast, I ask them to walk us through the arc of their career. So basically, if I want to break that down, just kind of tell us, uh, you know, where you grew up to essentially like where you are, where you are now. That's a long story and I'll stop you for the interesting (laughs) bits. But um, tell us who was Rebecca Nazario. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in a small city called Union City, New Jersey. It's really a, a small immigrant town uh, right outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. I, I'm first generation American born to, uh, to Cuban immigrant parents. And there's a big Latin community there. And that's actually where my parents settled coming from Cuba. And I've always had a passion for for helping others mm-hmm. i went to college for biology and chemistry and quickly found that i you know could help people through that through that knowledge when i left uh, when i graduated i actually took on a role believe it or not as a tech working for an ophthalmology company and started to kind of just dabble in healthcare to see what it was like and was reached out to by one of the leaders there at that organization who kind of called out like you know you're you're really good at putting people together you're really good at piecing you know some puzzles have you ever considered leadership and you know it was the first time that someone had seen me as a as a leader without the title and Mm. and really that opened my eyes to to what opportunities there were 
And so I left that company and started to take on different roles in healthcare, started working more on a financial capacity, decided to go back to school. I actually started to get my MPH because that's what everyone in healthcare normally does. And after the first semester, Wait, hold on. I said- Stop real yeah. quick. Describe what MPH is. I know what it is, but maybe our listeners don't. So yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a master's in public health. So I, I took it because, you know, I started in it because I said, this is what people do, right? Mm-hmm. I went online and I started looking at different <laughs> articles and, and really started looking to see what is it that I can, what, what can I do to further my education and mm-hmm. really make me much more of an asset in, in the workforce. So I enrolled, got into a program. And after, like I was saying, after the first semester, I decided that's not really what I like to do. I was like, I really didn't like all the reading honestly involved with it. I wanted to do more of the financials. Mm-hmm. And I should also say full disclaimer, my father's a CPA. So I grew up around numbers all my life. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, my career started at the age of 12 working in his in his practice. See, all right, so right? you, you should have, you leaving out juicy bits. Come on, like I know this stuff from when we talked, but you you glancing over stuff now, all right? Like- I did, it's, it's like, you know, you're right. It's- um. So, so I come from a family of, of really hardworking people mm-hmm. and I joke around and I say that, you know, they believe in using all the resources around them, including their kids yeah. you know, to help in the family business. <laughs> and so I learned how to, my first job was really with my dad putting checks in order and, you know, just like back in the day, like checks would come back mm-hmm. and, and you know, the, the, the companies would bring them to my dad and then he had to kind of organize the bookkeeping. And so that was my, my first job. And it was just because I knew how to count, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. like a job that you can give a 12-year-old that they can't really screw up in right. his office. And so I started with that and, and you know, it was such a wealth of knowledge to just learn firsthand, you know, a lot about work ethic mm-hmm. and putting in the time and doing things not just for a paycheck, but like doing things that you you love to do. Um, and that's really my dad, right? And And so, again, going back to the reasons why I went for the MBA is because I, I really started to say... You know, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to invest the time, if I'm going to put in the money and the time and the effort that it's going to take, mm-hmm. I want to do something that I'm going to learn more from. Yeah. And I found that the MBA was really what aligned a little bit more with my long-term goals and the essence of learning more about finance, learning more about how businesses worked. Um, and at the same time, I was working. I, you know, had a family that I was starting. So I had to make decisions also that would help me on my in my personal life. And, and I mean that both financially and, and time-wise. So I like to think that my career was not linear. It did have its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I went from being a tech to a coordinator to an administrator. Um, and I really had some great opportunities to work in private practices and work for people that were also really passionate about healthcare and really passionate about really finding their niche in different, in different markets. I had the opportunity to work in New York City which is, as everyone knows, extremely competitive. Yep. You have competitors down the block from you. So you became really good. I, I conditioned myself really to be very good at finding out what the organization was good at and what markets we can get into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were a New York-based company. And through my leadership with my team, we started to expand into New Jersey. And that's really where I, I started to put not only the business you know, hat on, but also the marketing side on and the strategic side, you know, working alongside someone that was investing their own money also made it that much more, there was so much more pressure in that regard. But at the same time, there was so much more passion 
you know, involved in looking at data and market analysis and, and developing that collaboration, it was a great success. You know, it was one of the first times that, that he had expanded out of his niche. Yeah. And it gave me kind of that taste um, of marrying all the things together. I should, I should also mention that in my family, we have, we have a, a condition called polycystic kidney disease. Mm-hmm. And it just means that, you know, for a long time, my grandfather was the one that's actually diagnosed with it. For a long time, healthcare had been in, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And so, you know, I say that because at that point in my career, I started to feel like, yes, this is great. I'm helping to build a business but there was something missing. Mm. And that was that side of healthcare that I really hadn't explored previous to that. And I started looking at hospital roles. What was really great was that I was, my boss at the time really understood that I was looking for more meaning. I was looking for something a little bit closer to the healthcare, you know, day-to-day working with really sick people. Mm -hmm. And I found this great opportunity that he encouraged me to, to actually apply for working in a community hospital in in Newark, New Jersey. And it was actually an administrative director position for a liver transplant program. And so I had been on the patient side of it. And what really drew me to this role was I knew what it was like from the patient end. I knew how desperate people get, how, you know, especially in communities of color that were just plagued with a lot of stigma when it comes to to transplants in Mm -hmm. and of themselves. And it just brought me in. And I was given the opportunity to work in that hospital at a great time when they were looking to revamp their program, they were looking to invigorate it with a lot of growth. And I was bringing that business side to the position, even though I had never worked in a hospital organization. And, and honestly, Jordan, it was just, it was saying yes to a lot of different opportunities. When you work in a hospital, they, you, you get to wear a lot of different hats Mm -hmm. and a lot of opportunities in, in the, the form of volunteer work come up. Um, and different opportunities to collaborate with other departments. And I started to really spread my wings. And I learned a lot about not only efficiencies in in workflows. Mm-hmm. So like working in transplant, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're asked to think differently so that your patient gets listed and transplanted faster. And that's a, there was a lot of motivation behind doing that better. And so I learned how to do that. And then I was able to expand out. They promoted me into different various roles with more responsibility and eventually it landed me the role of executive director of population health yeah and that's really where i found my niche i started to find my groove right i was able to take this multidisciplinary experience take the business side data analytics and just marry it out. right yeah with purpose yeah so I'm gonna pa- I'm gonna pause you there because you you've given us a lot and i think <laughs> and no and not no and not in, in, in a bad way i think it's so many different avenues and directions that I want to take. So yeah. I'm going to start here first. It required you to have a lot of self-awareness, I would say, and not to chase. And we talked about this before, you know, not to chase the money. Like you, while money is important, you still had to make a lot of decisions about finding your purpose, finding your niche. And I wanted to know, how did you do that? I, I think, and, and we've talked about this, like, I think that if you're able to find a position Right? When you're starting out, you're going to take any role, right? Because you want to just get your feet wet. Mm-hmm. You want to get that experience. As you start to grow, it's going to sound so trivial, but making sure that you live within your means 
and that you're able to support that growth financially because there are going to be moments that you're you're going to want to chase that that money you're going to want to chase that next role yeah but you you really you know one thing is landing a job and one thing is keeping the job mm-hmm. and that's they're, they're really different things so you want to make sure that you reach a point where you're still growing you're still learning and maybe you're not getting a raise. Maybe that doesn't really meet that big number that you're hoping for, but you're learning. There's value to that. Mm -hmm. That sometimes doesn't come out in your paycheck, but in the long run, it's going to help advance you to that next step that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten unless you had that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then to marry the passion, you know, if you wake up every day and you dread going to work, that means you're not finding your passion yeah. right? or you're not being engaged enough and you're not learning enough. So I think the learning through the learning process, you're going to find your passion and you're going to have to make bold decisions, whether or not to follow that or to follow the money, because now your experience is going to start to grow. So you're going to be offered different roles. And I've been in those positions and I am not ashamed to say it, that there have been moments in my career where I have chased the job because of the title or because of the pay because it married what I needed in my private life, my personal life, but they weren't, they weren't satisfying. Mm. And, and when you dread something, you know, the hours are long, but when you're passionate (laughs) about something, the time flies, you know, and, and that's why population health for me, you know, as I started to to get to know more of that, I wanted it more. It was like an adrenaline rush. I mm-hmm. wanted to to help the community. I wanted to to drive home that that care and break down break down population health. Like I'm like Rebecca. Like I like I said before. I understand. I want to make sure that our audience understand. You using all these terminologies, all right? Like you know, yeah. make sure people so, understand what it is. So I'm going to tell you. I'll, I'm going to give you the version that I give my grandmother because Perfect. trying to describe to her, you know, what population health is. In a way where she like her her concept of a hospital is like you're either a nurse, a doctor, and that's it. See, like there's nothing else. And I want to I want to um, touch on that too. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting is so the way I describe it to her is I help to develop programs that help bring resources to the most ill. Mm. So I meet patients where they are. The programs that I develop really help to bring awareness and empowerment to the patient. Right. So like, let's say a patient that has diabetes, Mm -hmm. a population health program that I develop will not only help to address the diabetic piece of that person, but also help to address maybe their their food insecurity that led them to having the diabetes Mm. or their housing insecurity or even, you know, their their access to medication. And a lot of these programs also marry an education component to it, right? Right. So it's addressing the whole patient, yeah. and and really, if you do population health well, it also marries the patient at every platform or every intersection of their healthcare, you know, continuum. So you're not only helping them with their diabetes, but you're making sure that they see their primary care doc every year. Right. And that you're giving them education materials in the language and education level that they understand. So, so that's really population health. It's really changing the way that we serve our patients. We're not just helping them get them the insulin. We're teaching them how to eat, what to eat, mm, mm. you know, and just in some of the root causes. Yeah. Not yeah, just the symptoms. Yeah. Dang. That's real. Okay. Yeah. That's real. And I think a lot of our, our audience needed to understand that. So that's why I'm, I'm glad that you broke that down. Another question. So another question that I wanted to touch upon, cause you, you also glanced over it a bit about leadership, you know, and, and really understanding what the essence of leadership 
is and your your boss i can't forgot what job you had so many different positions but him he saw <laughs> something he saw something in you you know and i wanted to know how would you describe your leadership style i think the best definition you know when you compare all the the, the different types yeah. to me i'm a combination of like a servant leader i really do believe in empowering the people around you like, you know, you, you called it out, Jordan, like somebody saw something in me and they called it out, right? So I do believe in that mentorship. I believe that that if you give people the right empowerment, the right confidence, you draw out the best in them, you know, and then you give them the tools and, and, and the, the confidence to, to make the decisions to take it to that next step. I also believe in, in strategic leadership. I think about not only getting the right person in that place, but placing them in the right role you know, I, I say that one of my superpowers is is marrying the person to the roles. Build my teams. I look at personality a lot. I look at skill sets as a as an attribution, but but really it's personality. And will they mesh well with that team? You know, and then and then mentoring, right? And and making sure that that you can coach that person and truly be there for them. So you touched upon like what your style is. What does it yeah. mean to be a leader? The essence of leadership to you. To me, the essence of leadership is is being just very transparent. You know, yeah. sometimes leaders, the misconception is that leaders have to just be perfect, right? And and honestly, leadership sometimes is just being transparent and sometimes just being real with your teams. Mm-hmm. I think the essence of leadership, though, at the end of it, is the mentorship, is the empowerment. You know, I, I think in order for you to be a true leader, you have to mentor others. And this kind of gets into some of the stuff that you and I talked about. You know, in our communities of color, it's like we don't have enough people that will give that person the opportunity, call it out and just say, hey, you have a lot to contribute. Yeah. You have a voice that needs to be heard. Let me give you this project. Let me give you this you know, assignment and let me help guide you through that. You know, sometimes you just need that one person. So leadership to me is is being able to recognize the good in others and also bring that out and push them to be their best, right? Help them meet their goals. And it's not about being perfect because some of the best leaders I know, they're not perfect. The other essence of leadership that I think is important, especially for women, women of color, is having that confidence to make decisions that maybe aren't perfect, but they're the right decision for that next step. I think that there's a certain confidence level there too. Gotcha. So this leads nicely into the next question that I wanted to ask you. We talked about leadership, talked about some of your experiences, and we know that there are a lot of challenges for women, especially women of color in the workplace. I mean, that has been has been acknowledged. You know, yeah. if you look at like a visibility, the glass ceiling, um, those are just sort of a few of the challenges that, that women face. And you have held numerous hats throughout your career and you've had senior leadership positions. I want you to kind of talk about some of the challenges you have faced throughout your throughout your career and what did you do to kind of overcome those? I think, believe it or not, women of color face the same challenges as a lot of women in general, right? The biggest difference that I find is that there is no representation in many organizations in senior leadership. So so it's it's almost like you're charting and on or you're you're guiding into uncharted territory, mm-hmm. right? You're going yeah. into these areas where people don't even know where to put you. And and so many times senior leaders will will try to put you into this box of what they think, you know, whether it's time. Um, I know that I faced that in a lot of my positions, especially as a young professional. You know, they they kind of sometimes feel like, well, you know, you're trying to advance too quickly. You know, you don't have the experience. And 
to them, it's not, you know, I've, I've quickly realized that experience sometimes to some people, it just means age and, and, and years of age. And, mm. and honestly, they're not, they're not the same. Right. Right. Because, you know, especially when you're on multiple projects, you can become very well-rounded with experience. So I think the biggest challenge for women, women of color is getting that experience, mm-hmm. having people give you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Again, in my roles, I've been really fortunate. I'm very humble. And in that regard, I volunteer a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm always standing, you know, my hand is always up for a new project, especially if it's something that I haven't done. I mean, I know with Leadership so Delaware. So Yeah, that's Leadership Delaware, yeah. hands down. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I actually went for the Leadership Delaware, mm-hmm. you know, to challenge myself, to try something new, to put myself out there. Uh, because I do believe that surrounding yourself around people that have different views and different perspectives also helps you become much more well-rounded, right? So, so the glass ceiling, yes, it exists. But, but I guess my biggest advice is not to let people put you into any box. You're not defined by somebody else's perception, you know, and at the same time, don't define yourself by everybody else's perception. Really push through those norms. Yeah. I'm a mom, I'm young. And, and I never let someone say to me, well, because you're a mom, you're not going to be as committed. No, if anything, I learned how to balance my time. So you become more effective and more efficient. But what would you say about this, though? Because, I mean, I had an opportunity when I was speaking to someone else and we were talking about the double consciousness. And this is uh, something that W.E.B. Uh, Du Bois coined. We see ourselves through the lens of other people or how other people see yeah. us. So, like, yeah. I mean, how would you because you were saying, like, don't let other people how they view you sort of define you or their perceptions define you. But it's hard when they, in essence, you start to almost feel like you have to overperform to yeah. to to combat some certain stereotypes, you know? But listen, there is an element of that. Mm-hmm. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. Minorities in every walk of every facet of, of mm-hmm. business, every facet, any domain, for the most part, have to work harder than than anyone else. But that to me, like that's the grit that you need to also have. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to put in the most hours, but you do have to be, you have to offer something different, right? You have to either be the most efficient person, or the most effective person in the room. And that's how you begin to start to change not only that other person's perceptive perception, but you also start to believe in yourself, right? Because it all comes back to what you believe. And there's a lot of soul searching that goes into this. And, and Jordan, I'd be lying if there weren't moments of self-doubt there weren't moments that I'm not in the shower, just like hitting my head up against the wall saying, mm-hmm. can I really do this? But but that's when you also need to have a really good ally on your side too. Like if you need people around you to just springboard something off of and say, what do you think? Surround yourself with positive people too. It's a combination, but it all does start with you. No, I agree. I agree. And like, I mean, you're, you're touching upon it right now as you speak about the imposter syndrome, you know, and oh, that yeah. feeling of not belonging or, or even thinking that you have the qualifications or the, you know, the capability to do the position that people have already selected you for. Like it's, it's, uh, it's real, but I like what you said about surrounding yourself around people who, who can still keep you uplifted, you know, and, and give you that reminder. We talked about this or you talked about it a a little bit earlier about when people think about healthcare or the medical field, you think doctor or nurse. And this is look for real, like this is so true for a lot of our scholars. So a lot of our kids, are black and brown or underrepresented minorities. And they say, yeah, Jordan, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a surgeon. I'm like, okay, like, do you know what that all entails? And when I break it down for them that you got to do all these years and stuff, they're like, oh, okay. So 
I want let's start let's start right here. I, I'm always look. I'm always the the wheels always turn in my head. If you could create your own intervention to help underrepresented or expose underrepresented populations to other career paths within the medical field, what would you do? So again, I come from like that the immigrant background, very practical, mm -hmm. right? So this is so, perfect. This is, this is, yeah, extremely practical. To me, I would give the same advice or I would design it with the same advice that I would say to any young person. The program that I would develop would expose them to the different facets, like through a fellowship program or some type of volunteer work. And over the summer where they get to sit down and actually shadow or talk to some of the physicians. You know, what I find interesting in, in the communities of color and, and growing up, many of us, first generation or even the first to go to college, right? And and they're thinking, they're, or their parents are thinking that the only way for them to be successful is by going down that path. Right. Yep. But when you pair someone with someone else that has done that path, you know, not only as a, a physician or a nurse, but all the other facets of healthcare, you know, we don't really have a lot of programs that do that. That you can sit and do a rotation with all the different aspects in healthcare and in a hospital, what it takes to function, to run a hospital. I think that's what I would design something to that effect so that they could actually get firsthand knowledge because the practical side of me too is it takes a number of years. You mentioned it. You hit all the, the right markers. It's not only dedication, it's time, it's money, yep. you know, and, and the truth is that you want people to be able to have a well-paying job, no matter how many years of investment they put in, right. you know, and, and truly there's more ways to help people than, than just being a physician. And I, I say that because I think that that's a really big misconception. Yeah. You know, I, I hands down feel like the partnerships that I have with my doctors, the way that we serve our community only happens when you have that partnership. Yes. Mm -hmm. You want them to do the medical side, but you also need to organize it, develop it, structure it um, so that the doctor can come in and do their job. Right. Right. Yeah. So what, I mean, so, cause I didn't even know this and maybe this is just my own ignorance, you know, I mean, like before being a part of the program. Yeah. I mean, when I thought medical field, I was the same way. I had those same yeah. sort of perceptions of doctor and nurse. And then like, you know, you join an LDI, I was like VP of operations. Oh yeah, that's true. Like somebody has to like be doing that, you know, the administrative side of things. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I want to know, like, what are you doing personally, like to ensure that one, like you're paying it forward and two, that like other people can receive that knowledge? Yeah, for me, you know, part of how I pay it forward is through mentorship. Yeah. Right? So I get to know all my team members. And I don't mean just my direct reports. I mean, I have people that I still mentor from other roles that, you know, at one point they were a peer and they had a vested interest, but didn't really know how to get there. So it really means a lot of self-involvement with them and, mm -hmm. and being open and willing to have those conversations. Currently now at Christiana, we have a fellowship program where really people are able to come in. They have to apply for the position, but they're able to come in. And then we create a rotation, you know, within within all the different categories. I think, though, to get to the root of what your question really is, I think that we can do a better job in our school system really highlighting all the different facets. And that's something that through LDI, it's opened my eyes to a little bit more of that, that self-awareness that maybe I wasn't really keen to it. Maybe I was even more ignorant to because I kind of evolved into this role. But I think that if we can get to the kids, if we can get to even, even those in college to kind of say, hey, there's other things that you can also do to, to be involved in the community, to be involved in healthcare. I think that's something that I'd, I'd like to explore and, and continue to, to look at. 
But right now it's really hands-on mentorship, you know, especially those that, that have a peak, that have this light in them that you just want to draw out the best and be a listening ear, you know, give them, give them mentorship in not only the ways that I've done things, but the ways that their story needs to be told, right? And what they want to do, what they're passionate about. Thank you. Thank you. I've been, yeah. uh, that's something that I'm struggling with on a daily, you know, like we have 60% yeah. of our kids who, who want to do that. So this is uh, definitely wise words from the the one and only Rebecca uh, Nazario. Yeah. So this question is taking an, uh, a pivot. And I mean, it's, it's pretty relevant to what we're going through now with COVID and, you know, with vaccinations. And you talked, you talked about this a bit earlier about communities of color, maybe not having as much trust in, in their doctors or primary care. And we may even get to the place, and I don't know, I mean, this could be controversial, but, you know, we could get to the place now where vaccine, uh, vaccines become mandated, you know, for people to uh, participate in their normal daily tasks. As yeah. a woman of color, like, does this concern you? Yeah, it concerns me on a number of different levels. It mm -hmm. is, it is co controversial. So yeah. here's, what I'll, here's what I'll say. The truth is, any, anytime something is mandated, I'm never comfortable, right? Because I, I come from where my family fled a country that things were mandated on them. So, you know, I believe in, in America's principles of freedom of choice. When it comes to the vaccine, however, I do trust the science. Mm -hmm. And I think what is plaguing our communities of, of color is that there's just so much history of, of problems. And the only way that at least I look at how we can overcome those things is if those that are informed and do trust the science help to perpetuate, you know, what the real facts are. Yes. And, yes. and honestly, leading through example is the only way. I mean, recently, Jordan, somebody reached out to me because I posted a picture of myself on LinkedIn getting the shot. Yeah. I, yeah. They asked me, they were like, why did you do that? And I said, well, I, I did that because there aren't a lot of, of people of color that are actually talking about the vaccine. Yep. Yep. And, and I know a lot of them. So, you know, and I'm not seeing it. So so vocalizing in the way that addresses the, the, the community now. Right. So in your church groups in and, and I and I say this because that's the community that I grew up in, mm -hmm. you know, your small community set, um, sites. It's either your pastor or the, the community abuela, like the yeah. people on the block. They're mm -hmm. the ones that they go to for advice. My grandmother is one of them. Right. And I took her to get her shot. Because I knew that I, I know the science, I mm. see it, I live in it. Mm -hmm. So I have a different perspective, you know, and anyone that I come across, I make it a point to say to them, science is different. You know, it's come a long way. And it's one of those things where we're armed with so much more information now than we ever have been. And there comes a point where the facts are the fact, right? And, and not that science is perfect, but I also, I also come from the belief of, you can't let perfect get in the way of good. And truth is with the vaccine, it only works when we have that group mentality and we're able to protect each other. And that comes from, from it's a contribution effort. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to do their part. Yeah. But those that are, you know, in our communities of color, we need to represent and mm -hmm. we need to stand out there and be very vocal and have our voices heard when we do things like that so that they see that there's others like them that are doing it. No, well stated. Well stated. I think when you're getting inundated with so much information, it can be hard to know what is really true. Like I heard something about it being able to affect fertility or something like that. And then, yeah, like, yeah, you know, and a, it's like you got all this. Yeah, it's a rumor. You have all these all these things being or this information being perpetuated. And, yeah. you know, I remember being I was in 
where was I? I was at Costco maybe a week ago. <laughs> and uh, she, this lady asked me, she's like, yeah, like, are you going to get the, uh, the vaccine? I'm like, yeah, when I'm able to get it, I'm going to get it. And she's like, I ain't getting that thing. And I was like, why not? And she like started like listing all of these reasons. And I was like, no, like you have to. And I was like basically breaking down some of the science because my fiance, yeah. yeah, I told you, like my fiance is a cancer researcher. That's so true. she told me a lot of, you know, a lot of the science and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, so I passed it on to her. And she's like, oh, like. I may have to uh, I may have to reconsider that. So it's like people just need to be more informed and then pass on the right, you know, information. But um, and, and the other thing I would yeah. say, like, we do come across people like that. Mm -hmm. Encourage them to go back and talk to their doc. Right. Talk to the doctor that they see when they have a cold. Mm. Right. And usually that's their primary care doc. And if they don't have I'll, one, that's when you got to start with the whole conversation. Like, listen, you need to get I was getting ready to say, because it's tough. I mean, if you ain't, if you're not listen, going to the primary doctor, like how, you they, know, like they, that's, but that opens the, the whole conversation of you got to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where that self-advocacy comes into play. Because the other thing that plagues communities of color is that we usually don't seek help until it's really late. And then we have, that's why we have the highest prevalence with hypertension, diabetes. We don't see that the regular preventative care. And, and honestly, it's it's a the vaccine is a small part of a much larger absolutely absolutely you know and and so anytime that you come across that i'm so proud of you for even you know taking the time to talk to that person mm -hmm. in costco but you don't know how much that you could have changed her life just by spending those extra five minutes and that's really all we're asking people to do right start to squash some of the stigma online also perpetuates a lot of fallacy mm -hmm. that you know, because you see it on printer, because you see it on a post, you think it's real. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 No, but I, I agree with you. This is definitely a larger issue beyond the vaccine, which is why what you were talking about and just what the work that you did with population health, that resonates with me a lot because it's addressing not just a symptoms of these sort of right. inequities, but really getting to the root cause of, um, yep. of them and trying to, and trying to change it. So we're, right, look, we're at our mad minute segment. So basically oh, what that is. So yeah, that was the last question, but I got, I got a couple more <laughs> for you, but the mad minute, it's a minute, um, a rapid fire question. So like, I don't need okay. you taking a bunch of time. It's supposed to be fun. All right. So get hype. Hey, all right. Fast. All right. So if you weren't doing your current job, what would you be doing? I'd probably be a party planner. Really? Oh yeah. What? I can plan a mean party. All right, so I need I may need to talk to you off offline how you plan this wedding that I got trying to, <laughs> trying to Let me tell you, yeah. I have like binders of, of things. I love party planning. I do it for all my kids' birthdays. I do it for my best friends' weddings. I love it. All right, I, but I need to see the reviews though. Just because you love it don't mean that people love the work that you do. I'll, so I'll like give you some references. There I'll it is. All right, bet. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite pastime activity. Favorite pastime, you know. Honestly, I'm. Uh, it's it's cliche. I don't. I, but I don't care about it being cliche. I love spending time with my kids. I think my kids are probably the funniest people on earth, and so I love doing things that make them think differently. Like mm -hmm. I, silly, but I love going to like aquariums and museums. Yeah, because I'm exposing them to something new and just seeing their face. That's probably my favorite pastime. Best meal your kids say you make. Oh, hands down. There's this um. Spanish dish called carne con papa or carne guisada and it's it's really uh meat and potatoes uh but it's like with a sauce and it's you know it takes a couple hours to make yeah. but that's like a weekly staple in my house weekly are you making that every, every week okay so it's made every week that's like my, my kids love it 
you know, it goes fast. Mm -hmm. Leftovers are always greatly appreciated. Yeah. It gets taken over, you know, the next day for lunch. Uh, but yeah, I think that and and really I, I go I go hard on Thanksgiving. So yeah. my kids love that that piece too. So any of those dishes. Okay. Greatest lesson you learned from your dad. Greatest lesson. Know your worth. Right? When you're learning, when you're learning, you may have to do things for free, but you're learning. And then once you learn, you can start to really charge, right? And I don't mean just in time, but I mean in position, I mean in energy, you know, know your worth. If, if someone's draining you from your energy, know to walk away. Yeah, I think knowing my worth is probably the, the greatest lesson. Learning how to, how to stand on your own two feet is yeah. also something that he taught me. So, so knowing your worth and knowing what you're capable of, having a lot of that, that confidence greatest accomplishment so i i think because i'm um filled with faith i think that god put me on this earth to to have my kids i think mm -hmm. my kids are probably my greatest accomplishment I know, I know, I know you know and making them good people yeah you knew that you knew i knew you were gonna say that i knew it no it's not cliche i, I just knew you <laughs> you're a mother i knew it was coming i know it was it's coming like, yeah you know watching them grow they are the light of my life i think that is that is my greatest account my family is yeah. It's a big part of my life, mm -hmm. not only just my kids, but my husband, but my, you know, my down to like my mother-in-law, my parents were such a tight knit family and family means everything to us. Yeah. You know, um, I grew up with my grandparents. I grew up with that extended family. My cousins are my brothers like that, that I think my family, that's definitely my greatest accomplishment. Yeah. Three, three adjectives to describe yourself. Damn, Jordan, like. You, don't it, don't even front because you had these questions beforehand, so you can't even yeah, like. I, that doesn't mean that I like really thought about. Yeah, them, right, right. right. Um, <laughs> another. So I, okay, so this one's a good one, right? Because you can you can you can list a whole bunch, but but you, but, that, but, you, but you have three. Let me just remind you. But about. I have three. Uh -huh. Okay, I have three. <laughs> I want to say that I am extremely passionate because mm -hmm. I think passion is at the root of everything. I am, I'm ambitious, and I think that I'm going to throw in there humble, because at the end of it, like without humility, you can you can forget who you are really fast. Facts. And so, so I think those are three that I would that I would, that I would probably use to describe myself. Okay. So the ring the bell segment, these are the same two questions. The last two questions that we give to every guest speaker on the podcast. I think I got those. Huh? Did, did that not come yeah, through in the yes email? It, did I miss that? Man, stop playing with me. Yes, you did. No, All right. Seriously? I'm about to look at the email. What's one piece of advice you would give your 16-year-old self? Oh, that shows you how much I prepped. That's a yeah. good one. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, something that I, I always say that, that I, and again, I give this to my, my daughter's 14, so mm -hmm. I give this to her now, um, and she's very similar to me. I, I think that you need to learn, you need to start to learn how to trust your own instincts. Hmm. Right? Okay. Your instincts Talk are more, wrong. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right? And if you can learn that at a young age, that's the advice that I would give. Start to trust yourself and what your gut is telling you, mm. your intuition. Mm. Um, because as a woman, that goes a long way. It really does in, in both your personal life as well as your professional life. Yeah. That goes a long way. Okay. So, yeah. What's your why? I know the reason why I do what I do is so that no six-year-old has to translate 
for their grandfather when they're finding out that they have a really a really hard diagnosis right i i do this because you know they always say that that minorities you know they don't have a voice mm. i don't believe that they don't have a voice we have a voice just people don't understand us right and there's a difference like we can talk we can be loud but it's perceived as different as a different thing so i think my why is to help to translate that voice mm. so that we can resonate in our in our communities and our communities of color they're just misunderstood and or we're not not even understood because because there's so much bias in all of that so my why is to change the way that our our communities our minority communities are are heard and and that's what i want to do awesome awesome look at it <laughs> I appreciate you made it through. You made it through. I am happy that we are we're able to talk. Um, so many words of wisdom. And uh, I learned a lot more about you that I didn't even know beforehand. And I'm sure that our audience will agree. Um, so look, thank you so much. I know you're a busy woman. Thank so you. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I really uh, appreciate your time. Jordan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm proud of the work that you do. You know, if you can touch one or two lives, it's that's all that matters Mm -hmm. right and that Mm -hmm. keeps you going and as a young professional you're doing it yeah right you're getting out there and you're representing you're representing well thank you thank you kudos to you too thank Thank you you. all right look i'll talk to you soon all right all right bye-bye